Okay, if you can like to open up your Bibles to the uh, first book of Corinthians, chapter 6. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we uh, hope that you're feeling comfortable and that you're blessed uh, in some way of what we do today. Uh, but you are actually coming into the middle of a series that I've been doing on the book of Corinthians. And I've been in the book for about 10 weeks. I'm trying to get to the end of the book before 2017. And is that Elena? Elena, Elena's had a baby. Well, so did Clint as well. Do you have the baby there? The baby's there. Can you stand up? Don't wake him. Don't wake him up. I, I, is, do we have a name yet? Joseph. <laughs> Fantastic. That is a very cute little baby. So congratulations to the whole family for that. So wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. My wife would have another one if she could. So um, where was I? Corinth. Okay. So we're working through this uh, uh, book. It's an incredibly useful book to uh, Christians because it's one of the earliest, really early. Turn to your neighbor and say early. It's one of the earliest Christian documents that we have. In fact, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written a long time after 1 Corinthians. And it's a letter from a founding uh, a founding apostle to his church. And so uh, we're getting a little bit of data about what it was like to be in a church 2,000 years ago in this very fresh, raw Christianity. You know, they were still sorting out things like the doctrine of the Trinity. All that was still in the mix yet. We've got this very, very early look into what church life was like. And one of the things we find out is church life back then was a lot like it is now. Yeah? <laughs> That's one of the things we find out. We find out that Paul writes to the Corinthians saying, hey, we know that you're going to win and that you have power and God's going to bring to fulfillment what, we've, what you've been called to do, but there are some issues that you have to face in the life of the church. One of those issues was division in the church. Uh, people uh, forming different factions. You know, you had the Dockers against the Eagles and the Eagles against the Bombers and, you know, you had all these different factions going on. Uh, there was uh, drunkenness taking place at the Lord's Supper. There was sexual immorality. There's a lot of things that sounds a lot like the church that we have today, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's not one denomination on the face of the planet. At the last count, there was something like 11,518 different abominations. <laughs> Uh, denominations, you know, it's that, that really I don't think brings Jesus any glory. doesn't bring Jesus any great pleasure. That I, that's the ones that we know about. That's not all the unofficial ones. 11,000 of them, unity. Uh, and immorality has been such a big issue too. In fact, in Corinth's day and today, it's something that we now live in a very impure society where, um, you know, virtually anything goes and continues to go. Grow. So this morning I'm going to dive into uh, the, the, the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's about avoiding sexual sin. But there's a little bit more on that. So I'm not going to, the whole slant's not going to go towards sex, although that might make you more interested in it. But it's going to be, hopefully, have some other applications as well. So verse 12, you say, I am allowed to do anything but not everything is good for you. Now, verse 12, we're actually shifting from 
the first part of Corinth, this is a side tap here, sidebar, up until now, we've been dealing with in Corinth the verbal complaints that came via Chloe's household. Do you remember? This uh, lady turns up at Paul, he's over in Ephesus, and he says, we've got all these problems happening in Corinth, sorted out. And so he's been working through those. Now, verse 12, he now transitioned from the verbal complaints to a letter. Somewhere along the way, Paul has received a letter asking Paul all these questions. Chloe probably delivered the letter, but now what's happening? And so if you look carefully in your Bible, uh, the NIV does and a few others, the first part of verse 12 is is in quotation marks. Because what he's actually doing is quoting what they've said about him. Okay? So it's a key to understanding Corinth. You say, who says? The Corinthians. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. Quote, unquote. So here we've got Paul trying to hose down something that is now, he's been quoted for. Have you ever heard a pastor or some a Christian say, well, pastor so-and-so said this. And, you know, T.D. Jake says this. And, you know, Creflo Dollar says this. And so-and-so says that. And you have all this going on. Do you know that sometimes that's not exactly what they said? It's out of context. And so we've got this exact same phenomenon taking place in Corinthians. So in the Corinthians, you've got all this bad stuff happening in the church, sexual immorality, drunkenness at the Lord's table, schisms, divisions, lawsuits amongst believers and stuff. And they're quoting Paul because Paul says, you can do anything. You get what's going on now? Paul says, you can do anything. And as a result of that, they are doing anything. So he's wanting to correct something that he probably has said. But they've removed what he said out of context. If you remove what someone says out of context, you can make anybody say anything. You can make the Bible say anything that you want. Do you know the Bible teaches that there is no God? Actually teaches that. The Bible says in Psalm 14, there is no God. But who can tell me the full context of the sentence? says that the fool in his heart has said that there is no God. Context is important, isn't it? Without context, you will miss what's going on. You know, this relates to life. This relates to people. You know, if we knew the context of someone's journey, we may not speak so quickly about what's happening in their life. You understand what I'm saying? You know, context makes a big difference. You know, all of a sudden you might see someone in a church service suddenly get up and run around the building screaming in absolute joy. Well, context matters. If they're in a wheelchair and God had just healed them, then it would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? (laughs) It'd make a lot of sense. Context makes a difference. And so Paul is just saying, here that you can, you, you know, you're quoting me. You say that you can do anything. Then he comes with the but, but not everything is for your good. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, 
I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was for the stomach and the stomach is for food. This is truth. You get the thing? You say, you say. This is truth, though someday God will do away from both. You can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Lisa Bolt would tell you that the Lord cares about your body. And God will raise us up from the dead by his power. He's raised us up from the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ's body? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! Exclamation mark. Because Corinth was a city famous for its temple prostitution. Absolutely. On the hill of Corinth, I've shown you the slide, there was a temple where there was a thousand prostitutes available for temple prostitution any time. Going to church in those days as a pagan meant going to have sex with a temple prostitute, male or female. So it's a big deal in context. Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her. For the scripture says, quoting Genesis, that two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin. Say that with me. No other sin. So clearly affects the body as this one does. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. You must honor God with your body. Can I say that one more time? You must honor God with your body. know that your body is an amazing thing absolutely an incredible thing your heart beats 103 and 68 nine times every 24 hours i don't know who counted that one 103,000 times your heart will beat today your blood will travel today 168 million miles isn't it amazing You'll breathe in 23,000 times today. You'll inhale 438 cubic feet of air. You'll eat 1.5 kilograms of food. You'll drink 2.9 quarters uh, quarts of liquids. You'll lose about 400 grams in waste. You will speak about 4,800 words. If you're male, it's about double that if you're female. <laughs> You will move 750 muscles. Your nails will grow 0.46 of an inch. Your hair will grow 0.17 of an inch. And you will use about 7 million brain cells today. And you think you're just sitting there. I'm just tired thinking about all this. (laughs) It is an amazing thing, the human body. 
we are incredibly blown away about how fearfully and intricately we are made. Psalm 137 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb. It's incredible. I think I was more on the fearfully than on the wonderful, but hey, you don't always get to choose. So here we have Paul, and this marks a transition from the verbal complaints into the written complaints. So Paul's answering certain questions that have been asked by the Corinthian believers. The first question Paul answered has to do with the body. And it would seem that the pagan world in which they were living was beginning to influence the way that they were living. Maybe that's still in play today, that the pagan world in which we're living is affecting the way that we're choosing to live as well. Now, the Greeks, the Hellenistic world in which they lived, had a very bad view of the body. They saw the body as something which was made in the material and they had this idea that anything physical is bad and anything spiritual is good. They called it dualism and uh, it was a very well-developed system. And so this affected their behavior in two ways. Some Greeks took the approach of my body's so bad, it doesn't really matter what I do with it. It's all going to die and waste away anyway. So I can eat, drink, be merry, sleep with as many people as I want. It doesn't make any difference because my body's so bad. As long as the spirit's okay, that's what it's all about, just keeping your spirit right and your body. We would find that a bit more difficult to separate, I think. We would say that they're more connected. The other way that the Greeks handled it was to say, okay, if the body's so bad, then I need to embrace a lifestyle of denial of the Bible. You know, lots of fasting and self-flagellation and persecuting the body, bringing the body down. So it went both ways. On one side, the Greeks went to, oh, just give the body anything it wants, feed it, nourish it, fix it. The other side was, don't give the body anything it wants. In fact, Christianity is revolutionary in this worldview to say that God actually has a plan for the body and the spirit and that they are together. Revolutionary in the time it was. The Greeks had a saying at that time, the body is a tomb. Pretty pretty black. What's your body? It's a tomb. It's a dead thing that entraps your spirit. And one day the body decays and your spirit is then released and it goes back to the eons of living for gods. So the important thing is that your soul and your spirit, the body was a thing that did not matter to the Greeks. And because of how the Greeks felt about the body, one of these two attitudes existed, either extreme uh, steps to subject and humiliate the desires of the body. The other was the extreme of just giving the body whatever it wants. But Paul makes this point. He is interested in your body. Paul's answer about the discussion of the body is from God's perspective. And he really takes two lines of thought here. One is about food. The food is for the, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for the food. And then the parallelism for that is the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You know that your body was created by God and he has a plan for your body. You know he has a plan for your spirit. We know that as well. He has a plan for your soul as well. But he has a plan for your body. 
He's going to take your body one day and he's going to pour this transformational life and power in it. It's going to be raised up and it will be a supernatural body. So there's a real plan for this. So, you know, uh, it's only Christianity has this idea that on the other side of the veil of death, there is something about being a raised body. We're not going to be ghosts. We're not going to be little angels sitting on clouds somewhere playing harps. Hallelujah. I hate the harp and I can't play. (laughs) Heaven's going to be a place where you're going to have a body. It's going to be a body that can do amazing things. It'll be able to beam up like Spock, be able to go through wars, be able to live in multiple dimensions. You can be in more than place, one place at once. Most people can't understand what heaven's going to be like because we're so time-bound. But you'll be able to do two or three things at once. Some people think if all heaven is about is just worshipping God forever and ever and ever, I might enjoy that for a little while. But what about all the other things? You will be made in the image of God. And you will have creative power to do things that you won't even possibly have to begin to believe even now. Jesus is the forerunner. He is the one who came to earth. He gave up his divinity and he became a man while still retaining his deity. An amazing thing. He died And then he rose to heaven and now he sits at the right hand of the Father as a glorified human being. Supernatural human being. That is revolutionary. That's amazing. That has never existed before in all of the eons. There is now a man in heaven. A man in heaven. You're not getting me today. Help me, dear Jesus. There is a human being in heaven, sinless, perfect, powerful, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's your brother, and one day he's going to come and he's going to take you, and you're just going to be like him. You'll be just like him, powerful, able to rule and to reign, able to create. God can give you universes to rule and to reign over. It's all there in this idea of heaven. Yes, we don't see a lot of it. We see through the glass darkly. We only peer through. But heaven is about the body. One day, your body is going to get that moving going on where the hip bone's connected to the knee bone and the knee bone's connected to the ankle bone and you will stand up and it's going to be wonderful. You're not going to be a disembodied spirit looking for some pigs to some pigs to invade as demons do because they've lost all ability to taste to smell to have sense you're going to have a body and because of that god wants you to look after your body and so he gives us this incredible if i can put it in one sentence the purpose of the body is not for gratification, but glorification. God wants us to use our body to glorify God. You know, in an orthodox world, the world in which Paul lived in, you didn't have to ask someone what they believed. You could see what they believed. 
you don't have to ask to this day an Orthodox Jew what he believes. You can see what he believes. You don't have to ask an Orthodox Muslim what he believes. You can see what he believes. In the ancient world, you didn't go up to strangers and say, what do you believe? You knew what he believed because his body, the way that he dressed, the way that he presented himself, the way that he conducted himself, told you what he believed. If you wanted to know what someone believed in the ancient world, you would only have to follow them around for half an hour and you would know what they believed. I wonder if the Western church is able to boast of the same thing. If someone followed you around for a week, would they actually figure out that you're a Christian? Oops, sorry. <laughs> so the purpose of the body is for glorifying God, not gratifying its appetites. So this is the way God wants us to handle the body. Our appetites should be secondary, not primary. Our primary choice should be to serve and to please God. In verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of anything. Things that are in my power, another way of putting it says, all things are in my power, but I will not be overpowered by anything. It's a good way to say it. There's a play on the words that are going on here. All things are possible, but not everything's permissible. Are you allowed to smoke nicotine? Outside. <laughs> well, the answer is yes. You're allowed to. But is it good for you? Okay. Are you allowed to eat fat-saturated food? <laughs> Do you have an opinion on this, Mr. Bolt? Are you allowed to? Yes. But is it good for you? Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to drink, say, um, coffee? Oh no! <laughs> Dear Jesus, there is research that coffee is very good for you. <laughs> Just like chocolate is very good for you. It's official. You eat enough chocolate. It's meant to be that horrible. Lisa, am I true? Chocolate's good. Where's Lisa gone? So if you eat chocolate, it's good for you. Yeah, but if I eat lots and lots and lots of the other chocolate, don't I get to 70%? <laughs> you know, the thing is that the Bible's quite clear here that we have far more freedom than what we could possibly believe. Now, I think I've told you the story, and forgive me for those who have been with me a lot of times, but I only have my story. But one of my former associate pastors was, Dr. was Jane Lloyd, who 
great lady. It was an amazing blessing to have her as we brought the Bible college and pastor the church together. And she's traveling away. She tells the story. She's traveling away on the aeroplane. This is before the days when you had your TV sets and everybody just cocoons down at their own little world. And there's uh, this businessman sitting next to her. So they start talking. And the businessman asks Jane, Pastor Jane, what do you do? And she says, oh, I'm a minister of religion. And his reaction was, oh, dear, that's horrible. (laughs) That was his instant reaction. And uh, he says, you you know, that must be terrible for you. He says, no, 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 it's it's fine. I love it. It's fantastic. And he says, well, no, no, it must be a horrible lifestyle. He says, why? He says, well, you're not allowed to do anything. He says, oh, yeah, I'm allowed to do anything I want. He says, no, you can't. You can't drink alcohol. He says, yes, I can drink alcohol if I want. His drawer drops open. He says, oh, well, well you, can't do, you can't smoke marijuana, can you? He says, yes, I can smoke marijuana if I want. The drawer drops even further down to the ground. He says, this, this might be a different religion. I don't know what's going on here. He says, well, you can't have an affair. He says, yes, I can have an affair if I want. And he's totally disarmed, totally disarmed. And then she followed up, but I don't want to. I don't want to. So Christianity properly understood. It's not about laws and rules. Don't, don't, don't. No, 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 no. Properly understood is about actually I can select all of this if I want. But is it good for me and will it glorify Jesus in my body. So, you know, we could even think of things like now piercings, metal piercings and tattoos. You know, are we glorifying God with our body when you move into some of these areas? I'm just asking the question because everything's permissible. Everything's permissible. But is it glorifying God in your body? And Paul says, your body is made for the Lord. So it doesn't belong to us. You know, now if I was to go out there and take uh, uh, Stephen Bolt's very nice uh, sports car, uh, I'd love that. But it's not mine. (laughs) His BMW goes very, very fast, I'm told, yeah. But it's not mine. He, He paid the price for it. It's his. Well, the Bible makes it very clear is your body is not yours. It's not yours. God created your body. Now, some of us have got issues with God over that. God, could you made a little bit taller, a little bit shorter, a little bit whatever and stuff like that. But God created your body and he's got a purpose for it. And so he wants us to do our very best to let God be glorified in our body. Now, can I say to you, amazingly, because as... Oh, stop it, Mike, stop it. You know what? It's an incredible thing when someone comes into the life of the church and through faith or whatever, they receive a miracle in their body and they're totally set free. That's, that's always a wonderful thing, you know. There are people here today who could raise their hands and say, that's what God's done for me. You know what? But you also worship God in your body when you've got pain and you're wearing a back brace 
and there's every reason you shouldn't be here this morning because your body isn't in a good shape. Do you know that God sees that? Do you know that still worshipping God with your body? And I think we need to acknowledge that that's just as much a grace thing, something that brings God glory as the other side of it. You know, we want to see God do the supernatural and do incredible miracles, but we also want to say that God can be glorified through people who are just faithful and push through the disadvantages that they have. You know, when little Jessica Simpson's up the front here and she's worshipping God, she's far more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than most people in the building. You know, her body's not broken, but her, sp- her body might be broken, but her spirit's alive to God. And she knows what's going on and she knows when God's about to do things that it's wonderful. So the body's not for gratification and it screams out for that sometimes. If you've had your body scream out, give me coffee and no one dies. <laughs> give me donuts and no one dies. You know, this thing here, this stomach here can be an incredibly demanding screaming thing. It's one of the reasons why God says that fasting is a good thing. Because you can have a body like mine through sheer neglect. <laughs> I do try. I do try to watch my peas. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the reasons are that God wants you to look after your body is that one day he'll raise this body. And he's going to use it forever and ever and ever. He also desires purity in the body. And he creates, Paul creates this absolutely impossible image of Jesus being with a prostitute. So he says that when we're being immoral, we take Jesus with us. He's trying to create this revelation in the life of the believer that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God with me. Does God really want to go to the nightclub? Does Jesus really want to go watch that movie? Does Jesus really want to go and visit a prostitute? Oh, that should almost violate our thinking and have the same reaction that Paul wanted the Corinthians. God forbid. Never. That should never happen. And so here's one of the great keys of living in purity is to simply practice the presence of God. If you're singing a song under your spirit, singing, making psalms under your voice, if you're speaking in tongues under your voice, it's so much harder for you to be in the wrong place doing the wrong thing because you're taking Jesus with you. When you're dating young couples, have Jesus in the back seat. <laughs> Just it, it helps. It really does help. <laughs> Do we really believe God's with us everywhere? If we really, really, really believe that, it would change, just change everything about the way we behave. Can you imagine the holy, spotless, sinless Lord Jesus lying with a prostitute? God forbid that we should ever think such a thing. Yet when a saved person does certain immoral things, they're actually associating the Lord Jesus Christ with that immorality. 
to even think of doing such a thing should cause us to run away, which is what the vice is. What are we meant to do for immorality? We're meant to flee. Yes, eating bad food's bad for you. Lisa would have told you all about that yesterday. But the wonderful thing about food is if I eat the wrong stuff, you know what? Through a bit of exercise and a little bit of diet and a little bit of change, I can probably undo a lot of the damage done by eating wrong food. Amen? But if I sleep around, I won't be able to in the same way with a few exercises and a change of diet change the hurt, the heartache, the family breakdown, the destruction to my family, society and church and the embarrassment that I've done. That won't change. There's something about sexual sin that's much harder to fix than a bad diet. So God's purchased the goods. So honor the Lord with your body. This is a startling, grabbing, radical command that I think most Christians fall short of this this day. We could put it another way. Worship God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Praise God with your body. Because the body is created not for gratification, but glorification. Even when you come to church, raising your hands is glorifying God. God loves your heart. Thank you, Jesus. He loves your soul. Thank you, Jesus. He loves your thinking. But he also wants you to glorify God in your body. So the way you dress, whether you use deodorant, whether you shave, what you watch, where you take Jesus is all a reflection on who we think Jesus is. You know, today we're all into branding, aren't we? And so you can walk into any mall and you can see people wear ACDC shirts. You can see them wear skull and cross. You can, if you want to have a day of free entertainment, just go down to the Armadale Mall and sit there and watch people. <laughs> it's, you, you'll be entertained. Entertained. We are meant to worship God. And I think that we need to do, treat seriously our diet. I do think that we are in a world in which we just have so much food, so much processed food, so much sugar and all this sort of stuff that we would probably do better if we were to remember what happened back in Daniel's day where he had the choice of all the dainties of the court. He could have all the pastries and all the nice meats and all that stuff. And he went on his own vegetable diet, his Daniel diet. And you know what? All the young men got fitter and skinnier and more handsome. Who'd like to be more handsome? <laughs> Eat more veggies. Now, that's why, uh, Steve, I drink a lot of coffee because coffee is a vegetable. I need to get saved, don't I? I'm afraid I'm a very bad example. <laughs> I have this high energy need in my life. You know, I, do a, I work 60, 70, 80 hours every week. Sort of. I need lots of sugar. 
you know, you don't understand. You. <laughs> oh, we always rationalize our sins, don't we? An apple a day, yes. Fruits are but poor. Father, we do want to take seriously the fact that you give us one body. And you, Lord, you want purity in that body, morally and physically on every level. Lord, we want to be able to yield our members, these hands, these feet, Lord, to the king's business. Lord, if we're not well, sometimes restrict, Lord, what we can do. But Lord, if we're well and we have discipline in our life, Father, we can live a long life bringing much glory to you through good deeds, through blessing people, through hugs and love, because we're in a space to do so. So, Lord, I pray for everybody in your presence here today. I'm just going to pray for people. If you've got an illness in your body right now, if there's something broken in your body, just stand. I'm just going to pray a blanket prayer right now. God's just going to touch your body, wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus, wherever you are. Need in your body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Lord, you love us so much. Lord, we just position ourselves right now to receive from you as a God who bestows unreasonable favor and grace. Lord, you designed us, Lord, with uh, incredible talent and intricacy. Lord, every blood vessel, Lord, is a factory in itself, Lord. Lord, our bones, Lord, our nervous system, Lord, our digestive system, Lord, the chemicals, Lord, in our body, Lord, it's just an amazing thing. Lord, I command right now everybody that stands in your presence, Lord, that their body would work now according to the design, Lord, that recovery would come, divine healing would flow, and they would be strong for Jesus' sake. Amen. God bless you. Let's just stand, shall we? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never really ever had that opportunity to accept Jesus, I want you to know John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gospel in a nutshell. God loves you. He loves you enough to make a difference because unless you turn around there's going to be perishing, there's going to be destruction. There will be the day when it all ends end in tears. But if you can turn, if you can allow God to actually move in your heart and you can embrace the fact that Jesus is real, that he really died for you, if you can believe in him and trust him with your life, the Bible says that you will be saved, that your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, I used to think that if you knew the truth, it was all that you needed. But I know lots of people know the truth but they don't make any difference. It doesn't change their life. They don't do anything about it. The work of the Holy Spirit is this. 
that when there is truth, then you have the ability to believe in it. And that's, that's supernatural. There are people that can hear the gospel expressed over and over and over again and something never happens in their heart and they can say, I can believe in that. I can trust in that. I can reach out and embrace that for myself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're in that place this morning where you've heard truth and there's actually something happening in you where you say, I can actually believe that, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself, saying, I want you. I'm calling you. If that's you right now, nobody looking around, if you'd just be brave enough to put your hand up in the air, we'll pray with you. We're not going to call you out the front. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not asking you to join a church. We're just asking you, are you in that place where you hear God calling to you now? Believe in me. For God so loved the world whoever believes in him should not perish, but receive wonderful quality eternal life. That's you this morning. Bless you, Jesus. Blessed Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the capacity to believe, the capacity to believe. A few hands have gone up, and I don't understand these. But Father, do your work. Holy Spirit, do your work. Give us the ability to walk out what we've heard in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Well, thank you for coming to church today. To me, it's an absolute miracle that you come to church to listen to this old man saved by grace. And uh, we're going to open up our altar down here. We have a prayer team. And if you need prayer for whatever reason in your life, we really invite you to come forward at the end of the service. I'm going to ask the rest of you to uh, make your way out to the foyer and to enjoy some fellowship before you go. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. And what are you going to do for your body this week? Honor God. Next Sunday, what are you going to do for your body? Do it here. What, what, what? Run. Run. I might run around the block. I've got a six-inch one I tuck under the bed. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> I worked it out that I must roll over in bed oh, hundreds of times every night. And I weigh about 84 kilograms. So if you add all that up, every night I'm shifting tons and tons. <laughs> God bless you. We're going to sing a song. Yeah, let's do happy day. This is a good way to worship God with your body. Worship God with your face. Worship God with your toes.